Welcome to the Experts in Dubai show, your home for deeper news, behind the scenes and real life stories. Hey everyone, it's Amber Wahid and welcome to the Experts in Dubai show and another episode in the great fraud fightback series. We know how a company treats its clients, it all comes down to its culture. And to look at the culture of a company, you look to its leader. It's all about leadership that transcends down to your team, and that is the service and the mentality the client receives. In the last episode of The Great Fraud Fightback, we talked about the insights gained from the DSAR, the Data Subject Access Request, that we ordered from Guardian Global Capital and its chairman. And we saw how the whole dossier offers a disturbing insight into the company's corporate culture. With that type of culture, it's not surprising that the service a client receives will not be transparent, honest, or in the client's best interest, resulting in the loss of their savings. Now, We always talk about taking the advisory industry to the next level. That to secure our financial future and to prosper, we need to evolve our financial models. We need to reform the financial advisory industry. We need a robust risk regulator. We need a greater consumer financial protection agency. Well, none of that is going to help until we do the first step. We change the culture of the financial advisory firm itself, working from the inside out. This is where change really starts from, and this is how the industry can change. I showed you an example of a really bad culture within a firm exposed through a DSAR, but to give it some balance, let's have a look at how a culture really should be that benefits us, the investors. Now, my guest on today's show is Con Lillis. Not only is he a leader, but the founder of Abacus, an advisory firm headquartered in Dubai that manages over $200 million for approximately 2,500 clients. What's unique about Khan is that as the lack of trust in the financial advisory industry grew, he felt it became necessary to separate client service from leadership and operation of the business. And he made a deliberate decision to move himself away from a client-facing role of working in the business so he could spend all of his time working on the business and developing its systems and culture and its advisors instead to provide the very best service to their clients. Abacus has 100% qualified advisors in Dubai and are regulated by SCA. He's managed to squeeze in some time for us before he takes leave and jets off first to Athens and then back home to the UK. Welcome, Con. Are you all packed and ready to go? <laughs> Not yet. No, I'm going to do some packing over the weekend. Uh, this is my uh, last commitment today on Thursday. So um, very pleased to be here and, and good to meet you. Thank you, Con. And I wanted to ask you, Con is short for? Cornelius or Cornelius, because it's actually derived from obviously the Roman, the Italian, but it comes via the Roman Catholic uh, and that my parents were Irish and my father was called Cornelius and his father before him. It's a very common name in, in Southern Ireland. You know, it, to me, it sounds very Shakespearean. I was thinking King Lear because one of the king's daughters in the play was called Cordelia. So I thought it was the male version of that name. Um, I think it might be the, it's Cornelia was the, is the female version of Cornelius. Um, and Cordelia is, is there, would, there must be a Cordelian, uh, Cordelius <laughs> as well, I guess. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, but it is a mouthful after a beer. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, nobody calls me Cornelius. Actually, I've always been called Con, even by my mother. Um, it's one of those names that's sort of in the background, but everyone knows me as Con and assumes my name is Conrad or, or Connor. But uh, actually, yes, it's Cornelius. Uh, it's great. It's very unusual and very majestic. Thank you very much. Let me start by saying that I was so fascinated by your personal story because a lot of founders hire professional management, full-time people in management roles to run the business so that they can stay focused on the client end. And it is interesting hearing your story that you chose the other path. Yes, I did. Um, And it was quite by accident. I started off as a financial advisor in London in 1987. Uh, Within the first couple of months of joining, I experienced Black Monday. Um, And there was a stock market crash, and that was followed by um, a big recession and a property crisis and so on. So I was really hit by uh, a lot of crises early on. But after five years of navigating that storm, um, the opportunity came up to come to Dubai, which I took. Um, This was a a virgin market in a way, and it was an opportunistic move for me. Um, But nevertheless, it proved to be the right one in my mind. What happened was during that process, I realised that my knowledge from the five years in London was in decline, and I had to make a decision about whether I pursued financial advice and advisory or took hold of the reins and became a business owner. So I took an MBA, a Master's of Business Administration, via Uh, Leicester University, in fact, Stafford Associates that were here at the time were promoting several universities from the UK. So I did an online course almost, although we didn't have internet in those days hardly. And uh, yeah, completed my MBA at the turn of the century, which sounds like a long time ago. But I've used that experience then to project myself forward as a business owner and a business manager rather than a direct financial advisor. I think they need to be distinct. I think there's a lot of work to do in terms of setting up a business so that it is properly organized um, to do the services that it promotes and you can only do that by having the experience or the knowledge of running a business properly I think Um, that's my my opinion and you are so focused intently on culture as a key part of working in this industry and why do you think the culture of a firm is particularly important in a market like Dubai well culture's very important I think it's the core values that a company holds and that needs to be communicated in a a very transparent and open way to the whole organisation. And it will will be the success or the failure of your business ultimately based upon what it is you're trying to communicate. But in Dubai, it's specifically important to have a strong culture amongst an organisation because regulators are developing. It's a developing market. And I think it's really important to have the, the culture that you're trying to communicate, which is put the client first and do the right thing, square on and central to the message you're giving to the marketplace Um, I think if we were to wholly rely on external requirements such as regulators then it may be more difficult because the regulator is developing uh, alongside us uh, and we're working together to actually make the market a better place for clients to be well I'm fascinated that your vision is basically about creating a business with a certain type of culture when, when a lot of people talk about visions of businesses, it's a certain thing they want to do in the marketplace or a certain product they want to bring to the market or it's a certain group of people that they're aiming to serve or it's a certain size of business that they want to create. Here, the culture was the vision point for you. Well, it was, certainly. It was one of the starting points of the business. But from that, of course, we established what it was we wanted to do for clients. That is to be holistic financial planners. Um, The regulator locally insists that certain aspects of financial planning are separated, so insurance regulation is separate from investment advice, for instance, as one. 
we elected to pursue the investment advisory role, even though we're qualified as much broader financial planners. We still focus on financial planning, and those other elements are very important. But our focus for the last seven or eight years has been, how do we do the best thing for our clients in terms of investment management? The first thing we did, we looked at the efficiencies of running portfolios here locally ourselves, and we found that the expertise for that particular role was was based in other countries, such as London, UK, or America, or Singapore, or even Channel Islands. So we found that the, the hubs for actual investment management were not here at that time. So we partnered with companies who could do the job, we felt, more efficiently and probably better um, further afield, rather than trying to do that aspect of the work ourselves. So what we do is we hold the hands of clients, we assess their attitude to risk, and then we match that attitude to suitable services that are available in regulated marketplaces. That could be DIFC and that could be further afield, such as Jersey or the Isle of Man. Going back to Dubai, Dubai is perceived to be a low-trust advisory industry. I remember reading somewhere that someone had conducted a survey and financial advisors were the most least trusted profession. What are some of the biggest challenges you're facing here and what is the lesson for the industry? Well, the biggest challenges, I suppose, are getting a uniform message out in a transparent way, I would suggest. Um, There's no requirement, for instance, to disclose uh, exact fees in certain with certain products Um, and I certainly think there should be a requirement I don't think any of the advisors in my uh, company are in any way embarrassed about the fact that they do have to earn money uh, for the services they provide and the service goes way beyond the direct service that you're receiving as a client because Mm -hmm. of course there's education there's years of knowledge and experience Um, and there's also a network of experts that we can call upon as well so that whole thing um, a little bit like a lawyer, I suppose. He has, he has a, um, a wealth of expertise to tap into. We're similar uh, as financial advisors. We have that. So our fees are, um, are based on, on product, um, but they're well-deserved, and we have no compunction about declaring what they are. The thing that I think should change in this marketplace is that fees shouldn't be hidden. Mm. And they are sometimes hidden and they're embedded in products. And I don't that's think they're legacy. sometimes hidden. I think they're always hidden. Well, they're very often hidden and there's no need for it. You know, they are, it's, a, it's, a, it's a legacy of the industry way back when. That products, clients like to have 100% of the money invested, um, but the consultant still needs to be paid or the company still needs to earn money. So those, those fees are built into a product somewhere. And you only experience some sometimes when you actually withdraw your money or you, you ask for a valuation and, and you can see then that there was a charge somewhere. And it shouldn't be that way around. It should be declared openly at the outset. And, and we do just that. We propose a solution to um, a, a problem that a client might have. And that includes full transparency of any fees that will be charged. And we do that every step of the way. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just our position. That's the way we want to work and that's the way we're comfortable working. So you think that if everyone in the industry um, was transparent about their fees, that would go a long way to building the trust back up in the local market? Yes, it would indeed. I mean, locally, um, as you say from the survey, that trust has very much been lost. So it is a hard battle to actually regain that trust. But ultimately, I think what we need to try and do is remove the requirement for trust. We're not really 
asking people to trust us. What we are being is totally transparent and we're asking them to make a decision based upon what it is we're presenting to them. It shouldn't, trust shouldn't come into it. It should be very clear, very black and white. This is the job we'll do for you. This is what we'll charge. That's right, transparency. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be about trust at all. You know, if you could remove trust, trust is where the danger area is. Once people start to trust individuals, then they're not looking at the small print. And that's the danger. That's always been a danger. That's a really interesting way to look at it, that um, we should replace trust with transparency. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's my message really for today, if nothing else. That's the lesson for the industry. <laughs> that's the lesson for the whole industry, if only they'd listen. Um, but at the same time, Con, we do need, you know, we need advisors. Investing is a key part of our lives. We need to have advisors in the market. We need to build that transparency with the industry. You know, you mentioned lawyers. As in every profession, it is about doing your homework and finding the right advisor. You know, if I can refer to lawyers as an example and compare it to my own legal case and experience, once you find that lawyer and you connect and have chemistry, well, magical is the best word I can think of to describe it, such as the killing power of a great lawyer. Otherwise, it can spell disaster and compound your miseries. They can cost you lots of money and time and even lose your case for you. Hmm. Well, I guess, yes, first of all, I think it's important to say that financial services is a huge subject. Different firms specialise in different aspects of financial services. And you will need to engage with somebody who specifically deals with those areas that you're interested in. And you don't really know that until you've engaged. And this is the problem. Um, this is where education is. is this is where education key. is. Yeah. So you, there should be a, a robust website explaining very clearly. There should be a license that's in place explaining exactly what can be done. But from an advisor's point of view, you know, at the fundamental level, there's a basic need financially for three things. One is the question, what happens if you live too long? Another is what happens if you die too soon? And what happens if you get sick in the meantime what, during your work in life? There are there are aspects on a basic level that we can discuss that perhaps need to be covered, and that's where financial planning comes from. And on the other side, you've got uh, whiz kids that manage markets. So somewhere in the middle, um, you've got this broad base of information that needs to be explored. And our company is you know, a company that takes a client on, um, that looks at the whole situation holistically, and then only advises on those areas that we're expert in. And I think that's the thing. But we, because of our experience, we can also recommend um, where those other services that we can't provide can be sourced. And that's quite valuable as well. That's really important because with an independent financial advisor, they tend to do everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a bit foggy when it gets to, yeah. I'll deal with everything on your behalf type of thing. What's your take on independent financial advisors in Dubai? I think in the main, you are sport for choice. There are a lot of good financial advisors here, and there are a few that are perhaps think they're good, but perhaps they're not. So education and qualifications need to be looked at. Uh, before you're going to take advice, I would suggest always that um, it's important to look at the company's licensing, the company's ethos. Um, dig into the website a little bit. Find out who they've worked with in the past. When you said they may think they're good, what does that actually mean? Well, I think a lot of advisors here are well-intentioned, um, but they don't necessarily have the skill set to promote, but they're confident enough to think they do. Well, they're selling products. They're selling products, yeah. exactly. Um, and, they, and they feel it's the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, so you can't really fault these guys. But there is 
if you like, a Rubicon where they can trip over or cross over from being um, an innocent, um, believing that something is the best thing in the marketplace to actually I can make money from this and I'm just going to sell it anyway. So there is a point at which they cross over. I don't know where that is or how to spot it, but um, it's there and I've seen it time and time again. And uh, we have a flood of clients coming to us who ask us simply just to review uh, their products for them and we will just write reports and comment professionally and and very often we don't charge a fee for that i want to move on to leadership um and the other part that i would just share is how desperate i think the industry is for leadership how does leadership look like at abacus what's what's the secret ingredient what's the secret sauce there um transparency i think i give people authority uh, to do the jobs that they need to be doing whilst overseeing. I do communicate what's important to the business and what's important to clients. Um, I do instill values constantly, and I only work with people that have the same values in terms of looking after clients. On a practical level, um, we look closely at the transparency. As I said, we make sure that we have things like client propositions posted. So it's, in effect, uh, a price list of what we do. So that's available. But in terms of leading, um, one very important aspect that I've already touched on is that we separate the roles or some of the roles that, that shouldn't be done locally and we focus on the, uh, the areas that we think we can add value to. That being, really importantly, it's understanding somebody's attitude to risk, what they want to do, what they want to achieve, and then perhaps outsourcing the more technical side, such as the actual fund management of products and fund management of assets um, to other entities that we partner with. And your financial advisor's goal is to help Mr. and Mrs. Smith retire successfully. Your goal as a leader is to grow your staff and your advisors professionally, yes, but also personally to attain that goal and giving the client an amazing client experience. Yeah, I think it's really important to... um, fully engage with the client on their terms what we've done is we've looked at the whole process so when you from the point that you meet a client at the outset right the way through to the point where you take them on as a client and look after them thereafter we've tried to formalize that so that the um the experience is uniform for everybody now it will alter because things are either complicated or they're not so it's going to be different for everybody but it will start the same way so at the outset we, we recognize that very often consultants will influence their clients prior to meeting them they'll be guiding them down a certain path to buy a certain product and to try and avoid doing that and try and become totally independent and client focused we have a system whereby we'll send out a goal sketchbook to begin with so the client can take a look at the goal sketchbook um, unencumbered by the influences of financial advisors and they can set what it is they want to do basically in their life and then they can come to the consultant and they can say okay these are our basic fundamental ideas about what we're trying to achieve in life. What can you do to help us get there? So it's very much focused on what the client wants without the influence of a financial advisor first. Then, of course, comes the full fact find, which is more the financial aspects where the consultant is with um, the clients and they're going through the entire financial package. Then we can look at what's important, what needs to be reviewed, are things organised correctly, etc. And only then can we come on to recommendations. So full recommendations only start with that discovery session. The discovery session is the thing that the clients, they communicate their, uh, their dreams, their wishes, which are not necessarily financial, their life goals, 
And that's our starting point. And we deliver that whole process prior to charging a fee. It's only after that when we actually fully engage with the client that they say, yes, I actually can see what you're saying. I want your help. Tell me what it would cost for this, that and the other. And then we can actually put things in place. And that's when we eventually do engage in a business relationship. That's actually really painful to hear for people like me who are not benefited from that sort of culture from the financial advisors and financial service providers we had engaged with. But it's good for other investors and new investors to know that there are some great examples of leadership within the industry and with the right mentality. Let's talk about that mentality for a minute. You're in an industry where money is at the centre and whatever it takes, advisors will do it for money. We've seen the levels that people will go to for money. If it means betraying your friends, concealing documents, we've seen signature forgery amongst many, many things. Internally, they have become slaves to money at all costs. And psychologists actually say money releases the pleasure hormone dopamine, the same one that gets people hooked on drugs. And this is the mentality that we, the clients, are up against. And how did you approach that mentality within your team towards money? Um, I think it's first by communicating the understanding that money isn't actually a motivating factor. It is what we call a hygiene factor. It's something that prevents dissatisfaction, but it's not something that will fulfill you in life. So we do talk about this sort of stuff in the office, and it is empirically proven that it's a short-term fix and it's not something that's going to actually give you um, fulfilment in the long term. And of course, it's providing for your family, it's helping other people, it's all sorts of other almost spiritual things that give you that... Being old... able to sleep at night. And being able to sleep at night, exactly. But also having a long-term business, which will be successful if you continuously do the right thing. So you've got this early choice. You've got an early choice of, do I make a fast buck or, or, or do I try and do the right thing always? you know, what's better for business long term. And I've always thought that doing the right thing always is better for business long term. And I've been here 30 years. So, you know, I think if people take that long term view, then they'll be rewarded in the long term. Take a short term view, they will really not be rewarded at all. And it'll, it'll, it'll cause a mess. Of course, we put systems and processes in to ensure those, those areas of advice and, um, and products that we arrange for people and services that we provide, we want to make sure that they are scrutinised every step of the way and we have internal client, uh, compliance to ensure that's done. So personally, you have stepped back from the client-facing role, but do clients actually see you at some point? Does it include golf? <laughs> I do. I, I meet clients as often as possible. I speak to them all the time. What I don't do is specifically give advice. I listen to their needs. I listen to their concerns. And I try and match those people that I meet to consultants that have the skill set to deliver on what it is that they're trying to find out more information on. So we have an Australian expert. We have a tax expert. We have uh, UK uh, financial planning experts, etc. So I will try and match those skills to the client's needs. But I am meeting clients all the time. I've you know, my radar's always up to listen for opportunity from our side, and opportunity comes. Yeah. I, in fact, very often talk to clients discreetly after my consultants That's have great. met with them. And well, it's not I'll, great for the consultants, but it's good. Well, it, well, it very often is, and I'm relieved sometimes when I, when I do speak to a client, I'm thinking, I wonder how he got on with that chap. And, you know, um, and the client says, oh, absolutely brilliant. I, I've learned so much and I didn't think I would. I really didn't think, I thought I knew what a financial planner does already and I clearly didn't and I'm going to be telling all my friends. That's my dream client. Um, and then if you charge correctly as well in a transparent manner, 
you've got a business then long term which is sustainable irrespective of covid irrespective of brexit irrespective of recessions you know your business is sustainable because your clients value your input just touching on covid there what difference have you seen in the market in the investment market um i've seen a lot more caution um people have been concerned it is a shock uh, markets did fall initially although they've fully recovered now and, and some um so the world is getting used to the change, I think. But right at the outset, what we did discover is that clients became even more cautious, even more sceptical, even more focused on, on, on what it was they wanted to achieve and by when. And when clients are that focused, actually our job becomes easier. You know, when it was a little bit vague and it was, oh, how much can you make me this year as opposed to this other consultant, it was all more difficult to the job. Now, clients are really coming to us and valuing our experience and valuing our knowledge and and, and taking it on board very, very cautiously. It means that they're taking more time to invest. But when they become clients, um, they're generally very happy because they know exactly what they've got. Do you think they have self-educated do you think that the awareness has got better in the market of what financial advisors do and what they can do for them i think so i think people aren't afraid to take second opinions these days we've got a campaign that says just review it because if you're being given advice i think it really is important to um, at least compare it once so many people rely on trust and don't bother comparing we welcome people comparing our recommendations with other advisors and i'm sure Clients would benefit if they did that to us once in a while. Oh, we would have so benefited Neil Grant's <laughs> clients if we had if we had taken a second opinion, if we had done any form of due diligence, but yeah. we just relied on client referrals and passing him around. So That's the trouble. It relies on trust and word of mouth. What we need is more transparency, so you don't rely on that so much. Exactly. Almost every client who has had some engagement with financial advisors in this market can probably improve their circumstances by taking fresh advice, taking a fresh look at uh, what's available now. Things were more expensive in the past. Well, I'm really pleased that you were able to give us a balanced picture of the different types of cultures here in the market because knowing what I know today, some firms are not even attempting to update their practices or more closely attempt compliance with regulatory limits. In fact, they are updating their practices to make it even better at cheating their clients. So I really respect what you're trying to maintain and your approach to your financial advisory business. Thanks very much for that. I'm glad you've taken the time to take a close look at us. Yeah, we've spent a lot of time developing a culture and developing a process, which hopefully will be a delight to the customers that we actually come across. It's based on a culture of putting the client first in all of our transactions, um, and it's always totally transparent. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Con, and safe travels. Thank you very much indeed. You can get in touch with Con via their website, abacos.ae. Thank you for joining me. You can download the first chapter of my book, The Great Four Fightback, for free at businesscoulting.com forward slash book. To provide feedback on today's episode or ask questions, you can connect with me personally at businesscoulting.com forward slash podcast and click on the recommendations button. See you next week.